0: I'm Lawrence Draken, and you're listening to the Culture Matters podcast with Chris Smith.
1: Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan a plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. My name is Chris
2: Smith, and you're listening to the Culture Matters podcast. We are on episode number 136. Subscribing to this podcast is especially a good idea now during the Corona crisis, and that's what we're going to talk about. The guest today is Lawrence Draken. Draken, Lawrence Draken is an author and small business owner. Her latest book, The Year of the Rabbit Dragon is a medical thriller based in Beijing, China, centered around, guess what, a virus that is spread through the civilian population of China's capital. Draken lived and worked in Beijing for nearly five years, first doing research in high energy physics and then working on strategy and engineering team with a German auto company. While living and working in China, Draken was struck by the distance between the headlines of what people hear on the news about China and the picture of China she formed living there and interacting in the daily drama of the city. Writing became a way for her to share the bigger picture of how China works as a country with people who aren't be able to who aren't able to live overseas themselves. Her book is as much a study on the culture and mindset of China, and it is a medical thriller. Well, it was unavoidable, also for Culture Matters in the podcast, to uh, talk about Corona, this, this coronavirus or COVID-19. The main focus of this interview will be on China, but also Germany and the US um, uh, are countries we will talk about. Let's get right to the
1: interview. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Hi, Lawrence.
2: Thank you for being on the show. How are you? I'm great. Good to see you, Chris. Good to see you. Yeah, actually, we can't, but because we switched our video. <laughs> but before that, we actually did um, meet virtually as well using video. So, yeah, it is good to see you as well and to hear awesome. you even uh, even more. We had a bit of a, of an introduction talk. Um, the recording date here is April eighth, uh, twenty twenty. And of course, it's unavoidable to, to it's, it's, uh, this is a clean podcast, so I won't use the F word, but it's almost, it almost as close like that, the C word, right? So we're going to talk about um, uh, Corona and culture. But first, if, um, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? Uh, where are you now? And what would you consider your so-called cultural frame of reference?
0: Um, I'm American. I'm living in Germany right now since the last four years. But before that, I was spending almost five years in China Um, and I'm working. I'm a a writer and I'm publishing a couple of books and my cultural framework. I'm not sure exactly what you want by that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let me elaborate a little bit. a cultural frame of reference means you've basically, you've given it already. You are American. Yeah. You've lived in China and now you are in Germany. So, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that means, I mean, if you go, this is the example I tend to use. If, if. One goes let 's say two weeks to Cancun in in mexico you don 't pick up a lot of Mexican culture just because you know you 're usually in a resort or in a hotel, go to the beach so there 's little little Mexican culture that you pick up sure. but as as soon as, soon as you, you you start living somewhere, it becomes more well emotional I mean you get deeper into a culture. And um, I mean, five years, China, that must have been a cultural change for you as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think also I'm married to a German now, so that has affected my framework significantly, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but it's right. been almost 10 years since I was in the US. And I do find that the longer you live overseas someplace, the more yeah. broad your perspective is until you start coming home and you're like, oh, wait, this is this is odd. Why do we do that?
2: <laughs> About your own culture, that is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, just a little bit more background, if you don't mind. In the U.S., which part? Because that's a big country.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, I generally say I'm from South Dakota now because that's where I go back to. My family is there right now. But I grew up actually moving around quite a bit. And so I was born in California and went to Boston when I was three. So I'm not really Californian, but then we moved around about every five years um, various school and work and different stuff. So I'm... Yeah. (laughs) American. Pathetic.
2: (laughs) Right. So, but you could still do the Pledge of Allegiance, I guess. Yes, definitely. And that's
0: the thing. And that's, when I was living in China, that was something that I actually found. I found I was the the most at home in China that I had been since I had been a very small child. Because all of a sudden you're a foreigner, but you don't look like the locals. And everyone knows you're a foreigner. And everyone is a foreigner with you. And... And so it all of a sudden you feel like, oh, like I don't fit in, I've never fit in, I've never had a home, and all of a sudden we're all in the same boat together and I feel really relaxed and at home. And that was really like really quite yeah. an interesting experience in Beijing in some place that's so drastically different than your home culture. Yeah. So
2: yeah. You lived in Beijing for five years. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I've been there. I've been there once, been a few times to China, once to Beijing and um, I deliberately decided I had some time to myself there I deliberately decided to get lost there in the city yeah. and it's it was a good experience it was nice uh and <laughs> but it, the and the thing that I sort of took with it or t- took yeah took with me from from Beijing was that it and I've never felt so alone alone in such a big city <laughs> with so many people <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no and, so so you moved you moved uh, how uh, no let, let's step one do one step back how are you coping with this current coronavirus thing going on
0: um I'm personally doing fairly well my family's doing well um, it's a little bit harder of course I think for everybody to have the new schedule and everything but we're all healthy and I work from home as a rule anyway mm-hmm. but my husband of course is home now too so that flips everything on its head and my children are
2: home from school so it's it's more complicated
0: but it's so far going well actually and, okay you're
2: you're surviving and you're coping
0: yeah <laughs>
2: and you're not bored no, no. <laughs> I, think
0: okay. the, I don't i don't know oh yeah <laughs> there's way too much to be
1: done to be bored <laughs> okay that's good though that's good that's good yeah.
2: um so th- th- getting back to to your professional professional side really uh what made you go to china in the first place and then what what was there a culture shock um just tell us a little bit more about that experience
0: yeah so when I was in university I got onto a project with um, I was studying physics and I got onto a project with a collaboration in Beijing and there's a electron positron collider in southwest Beijing and my professor thought that we should visit and help calibrate of course that's what one does when you're in a calibration I mean when you're in a collaboration and so one summer I went with him and a couple of um th- from the group and spent about six weeks there collecting data and calibration on the collider. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> while I was there, I met a handsome young Swiss German and fell madly in love. And I decided I need to go back to Be- Beijing. And so it turned out that about a year later, I moved to China when I was done with my studies uh-huh. and looked for a job and tried to just get started. And that's what happened. So then I started working at a. Um, German automotive, automotive company mm-hmm. as an engineer slash strategy person um, and lived there for about five years. And that's when I started writing and started that's when i wrote the my first book that's, yeah. that's
2: quite a change i mean from from a, a collider that is where you they shoot particles against each other and when they do kaboom they see what they look what happened right exactly so well they fun. don't see much but they study a lot
0: yeah <laughs>
2: okay all right i'm, I'm a yeah, simple exactly. mind i'm from
0: doing high energy physics to working at a german automotive company and then i had my first son there and started writing there so
2: it's a lot of stuff Kind of happened in China, I, I guess. In five years, well, you can do it. You can do some stuff. So, what, what was the biggest culture shock then when you came, when you came there?
0: What's the biggest culture shock? On one of the things
2: that happened that that really that that was like, wow, I've never seen this.
0: Yeah, I I remember. Well, I'm trying to think of the biggest culture shock particularly, but I feel like. When you move to a new place, there's often kind of a honeymoon period where you move and everything's beautiful and exciting and just crazy. And you've never seen like all this great food and Mm -hmm. you're just really excited to be there. And I was really excited to be in China. But I remember that about the first six months, Mm -hmm. it was incredibly hard from just day to day figuring out how to live your life because you don't speak any of the language. It doesn't resemble any other language you've ever so, I mean, I have a degree in French and I've studied German and, you know, we have some Spanish when you're in the U.S. And so the, all of these other languages, we're doing zero to get you started on Chinese. And then you can't read anything. You feel like an infant. You feel like a small child who can't read, who can't talk, who can't participate in the culture. He doesn't know, like, how to get basic stuff done. You don't know where to buy cheese. You don't know where you can get decent bread. You don't know how to get window dressings for your curtains. You don't know, like, every single... <laughs> stupid little tiny thing you have to completely learn again yeah. whereas I mean in Germany like of course when I moved here like you had to figure all that stuff out but you know like Western cultures generally marry each other to some extent so you have the basic stuff built in yep. but in China just every single small problem-solving thing becomes a huge issue and after like six months you're like whoa I know how to like do my daily do my daily chores and get everything done and you just after after that period then you feel like oh now i really i feel like i own the place like i feel like i've really like mastered it to some extent i yeah. mean but i just i remember being completely overwhelmed for the first couple of months when you're like i don't think i don't know if i can do this for two years like this is exhausting
2: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so you so you worked for a chinese company f- or worked with a, a chinese company first and then start working for um uh, a german company
0: Well, it was um, it's a it was a university. So at first, I was at the one of the Chinese um, science universities, and then I started working for a German company. Yeah,
2: in China.
0: In China, yeah,
2: both there. Was, was there any difference there? I mean, because there's, there's, there's national culture, which is, well, Chinese culture, which is dominant being in China. But then again, you work for a Chinese university or within a Chinese context. And then if you work for, for a German car company, does that change? Because there's next to national culture, there's also corporate culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And well, that was what was really, cause when you're working at the university, when I was there, it's for sure like you're a visitor and you know that you're in the Chinese situation, in the Chinese domain. Um, And But when when I started working for the car company, um, it was really bizarre because all of a sudden... Everything was in German. Everything is happening in German. The culture is still very strongly German. And I don't think that this is the same for all of the German car manufacturers or all manufacturers of automobiles, that they're the home culture. But this particular one is very strong home culture and to the point where you feel like oh this is a german company that has production in china instead of this is an international company that comes from germany and so it was very much like all of a sudden i've been trying i've been trying so hard to understand the chinese culture to learn chinese to localize to some extent and then all of a sudden it's like oh now we have to put all that on hold we have to learn german we have to understand german culture we have to understand german corporate culture you have to be ready to drop back into germany at any moment for a meeting or a trip and so it's very it was it was it's a huge juxtaposition to the expectations and to the to the living style yeah
2: so so what what would you say what is the general difference in in their in their mindset then between the chinese and and in this case the germans i think
0: when there is a there's an example of if you if you sit in a meeting with a German and you say, this has to be done and I'd like you to do that, X, then before anything happens, they'll come back to you with, well, it'd be better if you did it this way and if you optimize a strategy, we could ac- actually do this and this and I don't think you actually mean you want to do this, I think you actually want to do Y and so mm-hmm. you're constantly like you're trying, you, The the mindset generally of a German I think is to optimize and to... Do something better than it's been done before to pre- make it more precise to find a better way to do it. Whereas if you sit in a meeting with a Chinese, and I, of course I'm generalizing, I don't, I'm sure. not. There are Germans that are not like this, and there are Chinese not like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, culture, no, no. of course, no. and and you you're dealing with this. You know these things, but <clears throat> but as a culture, like if you sit in a meeting and you tell a Chinese person that you need X done. They'll go do X and they won't do Y and they won't ask you why and they won't tell you why or how to improve it, but they'll do it. And you really need to be precise on what you want done. But if you give good instructions, that thing will get done. Mm-hmm. But you can't ask them the same things that you would ask a German to do. You and cannot. So I don't, I think you have to do it in a different way. You have yeah, to do yeah. it in a, okay. in a very different way. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is one of the reasons why it's sometimes it's easier to have to work in a Chinese situation where you you can expect something to be done if you've told them to do it, whereas the German might come back to you a week later, oh, I've still not done it, but I've optimized it for you, or I've found a better way to do it, or like, actually, I think we don't need to do that, and, and right. so some I mean, like, for sure, there are times when you need the Germans, and there's for sure times when you yeah. just want something done. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, is that, the, is that the, the Deutsche Grundlichkeit und Punktlichkeit?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: that, that's what you're. That's what you're talking about. Okay. I mean, punctuality and and the, the thoroughness. If you want to translate this to English. Um. All right. And then. Uh. So the the reason I guess you came back to Germany eventually was because of well the, your 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 personal situation.
0: Yeah. Was, hmm. my husband's work is based in Munich, so we're back here for that.
2: Ah. Okay. But now you're. Are you in Munich or are you in Frankfurt?
0: We're in Munich. We're in Munich. Ah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good.
2: Ah, we should have met at the end of the year because I was there as well.
0: Oh, that's ah, a
2: bummer! Um, Next. So let's 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 talk about the the this timely thing going on coronavirus or COVID nineteen mm-hmm. or or what is it SARS two CV. I've never understood why they had to had to give it like three names to confuse the public <laughs> even more.
0: So- I actually learned a little bit about this the other day. I apparently COVID nineteen is the disease you get from coronavirus.
2: Uh huh. And yeah. coronavirus is the general because there are more corona 19 is
0: the name of the virus or one of the versions of the name of the virus but yeah. but covid no. covid 19 is the name of the disease but coronavirus is the virus i don't know
2: it's yeah <laughs> it's okay there you go it's okay it's this it's the stuff that we have to, that, that's why we have to stay home yeah. Right. Okay. So um, do you, a couple of things. I don't know really in, in what order we, we should talk about this because um, maybe first, like, how do you think or, or in your experience, they what's a, the major difference between how the Chinese have handled this, where this whole thing started, and uh, how the West dealt with it? And the West is a broad scope because, okay. um, say, Europe, or maybe you can even differentiate between um, uh, Germany, given the experience you have sure. in Germany, Versus uh, versus the U.S., so the three countries: China, Germany, and the U.S. What is what is your perception of this?
0: Yeah, I think. Well, on one hand, I think if you look at the, the way that like, and I'll I'll use Germany because that's the, local, the most local I have. Uh-huh. If you look at the way that like Germany or the U.S. have their government set up, it's very much the individual has inalienable, inalienable rights, and the government is there to protect those rights. Plus. Whatever more you put on top of it, so you know social expectations and social stability and stuff is an has, is an added benefit. But at the minimum, the government is here to protect the individual's rights and to make sure that people are secure and safe and protected, and that the society can work at the basic level. Whereas in China, I think you have a very different perspective to start with, and if you if you're starting with the 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 group is the functioning organism not the individual then you say the group is what's core and the individual retains their rights as they're able to add to or in in bad cases to subtract to the safety and the harm and the, the safety of the group so like when you look at the way that China has reacted mm-hmm. the some of the things they've done would be completely impossible for us to do here in Germany for instance, Um, like when the, when, when people are, um, What's sorry? What's the word when they when they are when they have a fever or when they have when they've decided that they are sick with coronavirus? Mm -hmm. Then they're put into quarantine, and to the to the extent that the government that the police will lock you in your apartment and take away your key, and then someone will come and knock on your door every day to make sure that you're okay, and your and your property manager will call you and record your temperature. But, like, can you imagine... And this in, is
2: this is China, what you're talking this about. Is yep. This is China. This is China.
0: But can you, imagine, can you imagine in Germany the police saying, you're locked in your apartment now and we've taken away your key and you're not even allowed, you're not allowed to take out the trash. Yep. You're not allowed to pick up a package from the delivery person. Everything will be brought to you. And when we say it's okay, you'll be allowed to leave your apartment. I mean, and, of course, like, people who are sick are in quarantine, even in Germany, yep. but you're not physically
2: locked into your own interior. Own space, the and way people that, taking away li- physically, literally your key.
0: Literally taking away your key, yeah. Like yes, this is more than just house arrest. Yeah,
2: absolutely, exactly
0: and but the, but the but the mentality is that well that's the government's right to do and we may have like liberty and we may have certain rights as individuals but those rights are given to us by the government or those rights are protected by the government and if the government decides that we are at risk to the society then they can take that away and so it's sort of like it's reverse of what i would say is the american or the german system where you have mm-hmm. rights as an individual that you allow the government to sometimes impede because of certain um, situations. Mm -hmm. But but in China, it's more like the government has all the power or the right, and then you have freedom if it's okay, if it's
2: granted to you by the, the system. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and, and could you say something about the, the the U.S. way of dealing with this? Because uh, we all know the the there are nice videos out there how uh, President Trump dealt with this. It was just a weapon of the the latest le- the what is the latest hoax of the Democratic Party, right. and now they're stuck. Um, and then there was one executive measure taken, which was we don't want any flights from Europe anymore. Boom! There was no plan at all. So uh, what happened there?
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think what, honestly, I feel like that's a lot. It's, it's kind of, a, it's, 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 to me, it's on one hand, it's easy to criticize retrospectively when you feel like, well, now we know that it's really dangerous. And now we know that it's, you know, a bad situation, but I feel like it's, it's hard to, to be clear on what should have been taken in the moment. So I, 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 I feel like Americans tend to be even more protective of their liberty and their individual rights, mm-hmm. whereas, I mean, you could never lock an American into their own apartment and take away the key. That would never no, work. No, 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 nope. no, nope. <laughs> And so I think Americans do tend to be more libertarian on this, on these platforms, um, in, in, the, in this sort of situation. And of course, like now, retrospectively, it's it's yes, we should have locked things down a lot harder, a lot faster. But even when when Trump, like said, no more flights from China and he was called a racist for doing even that. So I feel like it's it's hard to say in the moment what is the correct response. And of course, I think we sh- there are situations in the US where you, they should have been more, you know, more strict earlier but it's hard when you're weighing i mean as a president versus the head of the who if you've been the who you could say this is you know dangerous at this level and we have to we should do such and such such measures but on a government level it's also you're weighing the different economic costs of shutting down the whole economy absolutely
2: absolutely Absolutely.
0: but just it gets more complicated i'm not sure i mean and i'm i'm also not living in the us so it's hard for me to stay on how it's working on a
2: local level i haven't Well, the, the, the <laughs> thing that the thing that struck me most, indeed, was was uh, indeed the, the the level of uh, talking about China here. The mm-hmm. authorities being able to say you're going to stay home, boom, and yeah. and and as you say, the group says, okay, we'll do that because yeah. if you don't, the government will say we're going to take your keel, like, exactly like you sure. said. The Germans take a certain uh, uh are they're taking measures, but there's also a plan next to it. And what I feel, what happened in the US is like, okay, no more flights. Boom. No more flights from Europe. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> now what? There's, and then it's like, okay, now, and there's, there's, a, and of course, the federal states can do something on their own. Um, or the states can, can have a lot of authority on their own as well. But there seems to be people tend to take decisions. This is my view, uh, tend to take decisions and, and just take the decision. And then later on wonder, like, oh, no, how are we going to do this?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, what's really sad is, is this is one. I mean, having a viral outbreak, like a blo- global pandemic like this is something that has been predicted for a while. Mm-hmm. But you would think that there would have been some plans in place on when that happens, because it is a, when it wasn't a question of if it was a, when, and when that happens, what are we going to do? And it it does seem like there was no plan and there was no like strategy Mm countrywide. I mean, it would be nice if like Europe, for instance, had a, had a European strategy or even like across the U S there should have one strategy. But at the same time, it's also, I mean, the U S has traditionally functioned as a, that the state should be responsible for themselves, and yeah. they, after you've after you've had the issue go beyond the state level, then it should go to the federal level. Whereas right now it's like, well, we need one across the globe, across this country plan, and yeah. it's never been the way that that has worked in the U.S. So it's a, it's more complicated because, of course, this is a situation a virus doesn't care about borders and it doesn't care about state line state mm-hmm. lines, uh-huh. but yeah. it's it's not the sort of situation that that we were prepared for. Absolutely, I think. As a as as the way that our government functions versus China, where you have a very centralized government and a very centralized system that says we're doing X, and then all the other states states fall in line and say okay, we're following. And you have to do implementation on the on the prov- provincial level and mm-hmm. the city level and all the way down down the line. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, you think you could argue that the, at least for something like this, for pandemic viral outbreak, the centralized government has a bit of an advantage where you don't have to then pass it through all these different layers of democracy. Um, but of course, the criticism there is if they make if the centralized government makes the wrong choice, and they pass yeah. it down the line. Yeah. Then there is no check and balance, yeah, yeah, and so I think yeah.
2: there's there's those both sides of that to be to struggle with. Well, I mean, this is this is generally what I what I I, I tend to advocate or preach is that we talk about cultural differences. We don't talk about culture right or wrong. Yeah, so, I mean, in a certain situation, if your ship goes down, if it's sinking, actually, then sitting down and talking about it, having endless meetings, is a bit. You don't useless. need a conference about this. I, yes, well, exactly. So you have to make a central decision. You yeah. you getting back to China and um uh because you did give me a couple of questions to think about as well you talk about the difference um or or even distance between what the government in china uh, says reports or writes uh, mm-hmm. and and the daily life in in china or in beijing more specifically what mm-hmm. is can you elaborate a bit on that please
0: yeah well i mean I, when i lived there that was one of the things that struck me so so strongly was i mean there's the image that we have of china from news clippings and from blurbs on you know social media from different uh, outlets, but then there's actual like, what is it like to live in there, and what are the people actually struggling with, and what's their mindset? And that was why I started writing in the first place was actually because to under to use some of that the daily drama that that makes you understand how people are thinking, how people are working, and what the country how it functions. And I it, I struggle to understand how you could really deal with China in any sense if you don't understand the min- the mentality and the mindset of the people that are making up the country and how they react for instance, to the government, how they react to the party, the communist party, what is the, what is their feeling about, you know, measures like being locked in their apartment and, and until they're out of quarantine and stuff. So um, yeah, I, I but then there's also, I mean, there's also the, the questions about how, what's the difference between how Chinese people interact with the government on like the social media versus what the Chinese government is projecting Uh through their, through their own um, media channels. I mean, and of course the media is, is part of the communist party. So it's, it's the media in China is very much controlled by the governing party. And so there isn't really the the separation between the government and the media, the way that you would hope that there is in the West in Germany or in the U S but then there's, there's a huge conflict between what people are reading in the media, which is, kind of the heroic government sweeps in and rescues everybody and we've, we've got this under control and everything in Hubei is improving and it's all okay and don't worry about it versus some of the stuff that was coming out of the social media earlier, which is just crazy stories about the numbers of people that were dying, the numbers of people that were infected, mm-hmm. some of the personal stories that were happening. And I think in these times you realize what a disconnect there is between what the government is saying and what what people are concerned about yeah and yeah yeah. well and this is this brings up another another point though about what is the appropriate level of censorship and stuff and in the west we say i mean in germany Germany is very sensitive to how much the government interacts with the media as far as censorship or even suggesting that certain topics should not be discussed or suggesting that certain topics should be left to the side until further information, for instance. Whereas in China, I mean, the media is owned by the government, controlled by the government and censored heavily. And social media is also heavily censored depending on the time or the situation. And I was talking to someone who's living there right now, and he was saying that it was interesting because there was really a strong sense of hysteria from people that were reading the social media and getting really scared and having no idea what to believe and what's going on. And then when the government started clamping down on some of these keywords and filtering out what was being said and blocking certain posts and statements – all of a sudden, like the hysteria sort of cooled down, and everyone sort of relaxed a little bit because they were being completely bombarded by these. By these stories, uh-huh. and in a weird way, it's sort of like it sort of makes sense. Like the same reason that you shut down the stock market for a moment, if like it starts to go into free fall, yeah. you know, like you might say, Well, you shouldn't sh- shut down the stock market because you know that's the open market and you need to you know, protect free trade. Yeah. But if there are moments when the hysteria gets to a point where it's not productive and it's dangerous and it's only making the situation worse, and then after when the government really started to censor these topics heavily, um, he was saying that. You could you could palpably feel how much people sort of relax because they just sometimes you just don't need more information. Right. And I I I have a hard time like saying we should censor we should censor social media because I I'm an American I don't you don't censor us. I don't censor me no. (laughs) But like there are definitely times when the hysteria is out of control and you can see like in a situation like this like there might be a time when maybe. I don't know. I, I struggle to say it, but maybe there is an appropriate time when you should censor how much people are building on hysteria of each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, indeed, it leads it leads to people uh, uh, drinking chloride, for instance, uh, <coughs> thinking that that would cure the the, yeah. the disease. I mean, there's this interesting article I read yesterday on on the BBC News app uh, about seven seven leaders, seven state leaders who um, who made ridiculous claims um from uh Bolsonaro in Brazil saying it's only like a little gri- uh, a, a gripe a, a fever and yeah, fever. Um, up till the um I think it was the I'm not sure but at one of the presidents in one of the former Soviet countries mm-hmm. said just drink vodka that will <laughs> help I'm not kidding it's I mean it's actually it's actually yeah, being said yeah. and then later on he said no I was actually joking but, I was joking. Yeah. you know so yeah you have a you have a point there so having having spoken to somebody really recently in china what is the current situation is there anything is there a mismatch between what we get fed through well either well say the news more than social media because social media can 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 go across the board is there any Absolutely. any difference between what you've heard personally and between and what the the media is reporting
0: yeah, well, it seemed like when I was talking to this person, it seemed like there's even a disconnect between what the media is reporting inside of China and what people are experiencing firsthand right now. So they keep saying that China's starting to open up, and it's true that the the companies are allowed to have people come back to work. You have to prove that your company is um withholding, i mean, not withholding is upholding the standards that the government has set so you have to prove that everyone is wearing face masks and no one is sitting too close to each other and there's only x number of people in the elevator and you have to file for permission to reopen your company which again is is sort of the inverse of what you would do in the in the west you proving you have to prove your innocence with assumed guilt instead of proving guilt Mm -hmm. assumed innocence so it's to me it's the wrong direction but as it wrong is unfair but it's the opposite directions i would expect in being an american Mm. But like the there's a disconnect even between between what you're hearing that everything is improving in China and that that the virus is under control and we're having a lower number of infection rates. And yet the measures to contain and the quarantine measures are getting stronger and stronger still. And mm. so, I mean, people are allowed to come back to work and the restaurants are opening up, but there's still the different cities are getting higher ratings for dangerous for the mm. for the. Risk
2: factors the are spread,
0: improving. Yeah. yeah, the threat, the threats improving in, in uh, rising. The threat is rising.
2: <laughs> so in, in general, I mean, okay, this is partly some information you got firsthand and partly your opinion, I guess. Is it is the situation getting better in China, or is it just spreading spreading further in different parts of the country that weren't affected yet? Well,
0: I mean, it seems. And I mean, this is a subjective opinion based on what I've heard and what I've read, but it's, I mean, most of the media is saying that it's improving and we do know that like the companies and stuff are starting to open up again. So on one level, like it must be improving, but if you're, if the safety measures are still increasing and becoming more difficult, then how much do we trust? And I think this is the biggest question when you deal with China. And this is, this is one of my one of the topics that continually like bombards all of us is how much do you trust China to be honest about what's going on? And I think that there's no transparency on that level that we don't, we can't really trust the numbers. One level historically, I mean, when you, when you go back to the SARS epidemic in 2003, mm-hmm there was clear statements that were downright lies about how many people were infected, how many people had died. Mm -hmm. There were people that the WHO still says that they have no official data on what happened with the SARS epidemic in 2003. And of course, like now we have a different administration in China. We have a different people in power. But the same topic is is still prevalent that you don't, you trust it less and less to be, you trust the country less and less to be transparent on what's actually going on. So I, I feel like it's, it's hard to say. I think, yeah. of course, if it was really getting much worse, they wouldn't allow people to go back to work because yeah. you can't you can't hide what's actually happening to some extent. But yeah, it's, to me, it's not clear
2: at all. Okay, extending this a little bit, and maybe I'm just um. um uh i'm 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 looking for nails uh, in undeep water that's a very dutch <laughs> saying translated <laughs> literally no maybe i'm going too far but it's just, it's just on my i my, on my mind I, I i've read many times in china for the government to stay in place Right for for the country to be relatively stable, there has to be uh, an economic growth of any anywhere between six and eight percent. Could right. could that be one of the motivations as well that they're weighing uh, uh, fatalities and and economic cost and just because China needs to produce, they need. I mean, we they that yeah. they're they're the engine, the the, the 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 factory of the world. Could that sure. be a, a dominant a reason to have to have these measures lifted?
0: Yeah, I mean. <sighs> Of course, of course, of course they are weighing that cost. Mm -hmm. And of course they are. I mean, the thing is, I feel like China has been very sensitive in the last year or two from various things that have happened that have really questioned their power and questioned the stability of them. So, for instance, like the Hong Kong protests really was a sore spot, is a sore spot for Beijing, Mm. considering like how much they were in the spotlight and, and how criticized they were becoming by the Western media and and the issues that they seem to not be able to keep in in control in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that, and then there's these there's this ongoing issue with Xinjiang province and Tibet, and there's ongoing issues there's there's all kinds of things that have happened in the last couple in the last year that have made them particularly sensitive, um, and then you have this that comes up wow. on top. And, of course, they're, they're sensitive to their ability to control the country and to continue to stay in power and to continue to stay in, peacefully in power. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, every country the world over is weighing the cost of having the entire workforce at home and the entire production industry completely disabled. So from the US to Germany, every country is making the same calculations about what is the risk factor of keeping people home versus collapsing our entire economy. Exactly, and yeah. and you can say that that's just a money thing, but that's people's lives and livelihood and well. mental health and everything. So I think it's a little bit unfair to just say that it's China doing that. But of course they are. Of course, there's no question that That the Communist Party is is questioning like how far they can take this, but
2: yeah, Yeah, it's a good book. You in in the introduction we could have heard that um you're I mean you're a writer you introduced yourself like that as well. You um your last book is called the Year of the uh, Rabbit Rabbit Dragon Rabbit Dragon yes Rabbit Dragon uh, Rabbit as in uh, the animal or does that have a different meaning.
0: Rabid, as in rabies, like the ah, yeah, virus okay. Rabies. okay,
2: yeah, yeah. you yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Rabid Dragon, uh, and you, you, you say this is a medical uh, thriller based in Beijing, in China, centered around a virus that is spread through the civilian population of China's capital. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: How, how did you do that?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's a little bit ridiculous because I published it in November, and two weeks later there was the um, CRISPR announcement that that He Jiankui had just um, altered the genes of two twin baby girls, and CRISPR mm-hmm. is pro- functions prominently in the story as well. Right. So, yeah. um, I. How did I do that, or what is it? No, I'm, I'm just, not- tell us a little
2: bit more about the book. What it's about, and 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 <laughs> and um, yeah, just tell us a little bit more about your book.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, well, the book is um, it, it centers around an American. Um, freelance journalist, sort of person, sort of guy um, who's living in Beijing, and he stumbles onto a few cases of rabies that are not following the traditional. Uh-huh. The thing about rabies is that it has a hundred percent mortality rate. Basically, when you figured out that you're sick from rabies, you're guaranteed to die. It's a rather drastic virus. It's much that, more dangerous. That, than... In reality, that is the case that is the truth that is the absolute truth so Uh if you've waited to get treated for rabies until you're foaming at the mouth or you start to be afraid of water you're dead there's just no it's there's no hope because the virus has already made it into your brain and when it makes it to your brain then it starts that's when it starts to present as make you sick Mm -hmm. and that's when it's there's it's too late for treatment um and so the only hope is that you can stop the virus before it gets to the brain. And but that's I mean that depends on how long it takes I mean where you've been bitten et cetera so mm-hmm. so there's these cases of rabies that are happening in Beijing and there's a doctor that comes from the WHO to help um, handle this weird this weird set of cases and then things start to get complicated and she gets sent home and she starts asking the wrong people the wrong questions and there's all kinds of mad scientists and government functionaries and culture questions and uh, struggles around how people think and deal with problems and yeah it's a it's, i think it's quite a fun story <laughs> but it's of course a little bit a You'd be dealing with this virus topic right after yeah. <laughs> the book came out
2: okay. yeah so that's that's good where can people find the book by the way
0: Um, it's everywhere that you, you can get it on Amazon, of course, but you can also go through IndieBound. They, they help you buy it through your local bookstore. Um, your local bookstore can probably get it as well. Order it from right. It's in print as well. It's it's absolutely in print. It's audible. It's in print.
2: It's okay. yeah. All therefore. right. Okay. Okay. Um, just I have one more like co- content question. If you want, yeah, uh, it's one of your own ideas to uh, to talk about because this has been focused. I think that we've been focusing on China because that was the origin of of this coronavirus. Uh, also because uh, uh, President Trump kept uh, calling it the China virus at least for some time, and he was he was uh, criticized for that as well. So yeah. if if we want to. Uh, And I heard one virologist say as well, this is a man-made virus. I mean, not in terms of conspiracy, like we were from a laboratory, but more uh, towards the idea that, um, which is culturally determined in China as well. And I've seen it with my own eyes and you no doubt as well. You go to a Chinese market and what you see are uh, pigs, dogs, cats, ducks, chickens, well, the famous bat in this case, all within one square meter of or cubic meter of each other. And she called it, this is the perfect storm to create conditions that in, in nature would never, ever appear. I mean, a Chick. cat would never come close to a bat or a chicken. It's, it's all, these, all these good things. So to that extent, it would be a man-made story. We created these circumstances, not the virus, yeah. but created these circumstances. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, um, uh, discrimination has been going on towards Chinese here as well, other parts of the world. If you see somebody with an Asian appearance, is like, ooh, Corona, um, and which, which is horrible, of course. And is there a better way Way to how how do you, how can we understand the Chinese better as Westerns?
0: Yeah, I um honestly I feel like it's it's hard to understand unless you are able to expose yourself long enough beyond just the knee-jerk reaction of that's something different, and so it's wrong. And it's really and this is the reason why you need to travel. But more, I think it's more it's important, if at all possible, that you actually live someplace else. And I mean, of course, if you want to understand China, you really need to live in China because yeah. you're just not going to get the same exposure as you can any other way. But once you've lived anywhere else, anywhere besides where you've lived at home, you start to understand that there are lots of different ways to do things mm-hmm. than the way that you took for granted, the way that you were brought up in your culture and your in your home society. And so I think it's it's really important for people to be really slow to pass judgment Right. If at all. If, if if that's even possible to stop passing judgment, but to start from the place of things are done differently, different places. And there's not necessarily a right or wrong way, mm-hmm. but there are lots of different ways to do things. And so if you want to understand China, ideally you, you live there for a couple of years. Yeah. And if not, then you read you read books besides just the the, the news headlines and and what you see on social media, you really, I mean, there are some really good books that you can read if you want to understand, like how the, the culture is, how the people think, what the, gov- how the government functions. And I think when you start to read some of those books, you start to realize there are a lot of assumptions that you had that you didn't even realize were assumptions. And yeah, so I, w- I would start from that place. Um, and then,
2: yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good idea. And um, uh, you will find some of the suggestions um, that Lawrence is mentioning uh, of the books in order to at least get a better perspective uh, of China on the show notes that you will find. Uh, Just go to the podcast tab, Lawrence Draken, podcast number 136. Um, so, uh, rather than going through these books right now, if people are listening there, it's hard to write down stuff anyways. Um, can can uh, I'm getting to my two final questions. Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent from your American, Chinese, German, Swiss-German perspective?
0: <laughs> um, well, I, I sort of said it already, but I, I think if at all possible, leave home, live someplace else, take a sabbatical year or or, and I really, and I really mean if, I mean, not all profession professions allow you to do that. So if you're a plumber, you can't necessarily just go up and move to China for a year, but if at all possible, like leave some where you're from and try and live someplace for at least a year or two, because you don't understand a place from just traveling there. It's really easy to stay in your little bubble to just live, go from the hotel to the sightseeing Absolutely. and back, back home. Yeah. But It's when you live someplace that you have to solve problems, that you're forced to come into contact with people in more than just a touristic sense and to really be confronted with difficult situations that you don't, that you don't understand. And I think that that's, that's fundamental. And I mean, the human story is that we have moved to places where there's new jobs, where there's new work, where there's better food, where there's better resources. And I think we need to continue to think about that as, as a way that we as humans, we live. We don't, we're not necessarily guaranteed to live in one place all of our lives for the rest of the generations to come, but to be flexible and to think about that when we're, when we want to learn new ideas, when you want to be exposed to new things. Um, another tip is of course, like just to, if you come in contact with something new, it's the knee jerk is of course to say that's wrong. That's not how I do it. And so it's the wrong way. But but to reserve judgment as long as possible. And if if you do, if you are capable of living someplace else, take the first six months to just experience, to put yourself in situations where you can experience new things and you can meet new people and try at least before you make actual judgments and statements about what's right or wrong Mm -hmm. to spend six months or a year just trying to learn how things are done before you can then say, well, I think actually that makes more sense to do it that way. Or actually, you know, I've learned that new way, but I still like it how I did yeah, yeah. it. No, exactly. You know? So yeah. Um and you got a third one? To have a third one? It's not I've... necessary,
2: by the way. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but three is such a nice set. I know.
2: I know. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know. I think the last one is well, I'm going to say this about like living overseas specifically. Mm-hmm. Be open to what the experience is that you're in. And I think sometimes when I, when I first moved to China, I was expecting that I would have a certain lifestyle. I was expecting that I would have a certain kind of job, that I would meet certain kinds of people. And I had a vision of what my life in China was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And after I'd lived there for a couple of months, I realized you need to let that go sometimes. And it's really hard to do that because we like to plan. We like to have like a mental picture of how things should be, but you need to be aware that part of the expat experience in China is not just the Chinese experience, it's also like all of the people that are figuring out China together. And so not shunning the fact that, you know, it's you should allow yourself to have some foreign friends, sometimes that it's okay to have a couple of American friends, because Mm -hmm. you're all trying to figure out this weird, different place together. And I think when I realized like, oh, like, what I was expecting my experience to be is different than what I'm having, but that's okay, and and realizing that you know I wasn't expecting to get a job at a German car company, and that really painted the the life that I had in China because all of a sudden you're doing a very like German centered yeah. <laughs> German centered um, life, but that's okay because that is part of the experience of living in China is having is being part of this huge industrial boom of of uh, production, and that's that that's also part of the Chinese experience. So you know. Yeah be aware that what you're expecting is maybe not what you should be don't be disappointed
2: when that's not what you expected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. All right, Lawrence, um, this is the, probably the longest podcast I've, that I've ever ever recorded. <laughs> forty five minutes in, uh, forty six minutes in recording, which is perfectly fine. I think I think that the the topic in this time of year, um, or this at this period that we're going through is uh, actually uh, justifies this as well. And for those of you who are listening to this in the future, after this haul is gone, it's um, it might give you a, a different perspective you know remember that we were in this whole corona crisis etc and that it was worldwide and that it is for me it's such a weird experience because i have friends typically on each side of the globe and it's like i i can call them in, in in guatemala and they just have to stay home because they have a there's a curfew there they're doing exactly the same as we're doing nothing i mean other than staying home and and like you i mean there there are differences but yeah anyway so where can people uh, get in touch with you if they want to
0: yeah <laughs> no it's, it's it's amazing to me that we're all around the world doing the same thing at exactly the same moment and we all i mean my parents have a, a story about what they were doing when the moon when we had the moon landing and yeah. everyone has a story about what happened at 9-11 but those are all like observatory stories like at this moment we're all doing the same thing True. it's just amazing that i mean it's, it's sad but it's also you
2: know unifying in a weird way yeah in a um, weird way indeed yeah absolutely lawrence if people want to get in touch with you how can they best do that
0: yeah um you can visit my website lhdraken.com or you can visit me on social media all all the basic platforms instagram um or facebook or whichever um and you can also
2: my email is lh at lhdraken.com if you want
0: to contact me directly
2: perfect all right well thank you so much for elaborating this thank you so much on also coming uh uh, on this show in this timely moment and um uh, i'm pretty sure we'll talk to, to each other in the future
0: It was a pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
2: Thanks, Lawrence. Again, it was good talking to you. I really liked the upbeat uh, uh, to- tone uh, in, in, in these dark times as well. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do so. If you want to do uh, or leave a review, that would be great as well. The music you hear in the background is from Ben Sound. Check them out at bensound.com. My name is Chris Smith. This was the Culture Matters podcast. And I'll be back in two weeks time where we will talk about beer. Yes, also cultural All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.
1: That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.